Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Welcome to episode 114 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. Today we welcome Colin from This Day Forward and Circus Survive. I've been wanting to get this done for a while and happy that it finally happened. Uh, personally, I was honored to work with Colin and Circus Revive on their first two albums at Equal Vision Records and continue to follow support them since those releases. We spoke about how he found out about independent music because of an Eddie Vedder DJ set, how basketball got them signed to EBR, and his escape route from music, which is his drawings and paintings. Thank you to all the people that pre-ordered Anthology of Emo Volume 1. If you haven't or want to find out how to get one, go to anthologyofemo.com. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. You make this podcast happen. Finally, check out rockabilia.com. Remember the magazine, Metal Maniacs, with the walls of shirt and small print of all the artists? This is it in real life. The site has everything, 500,000 to be exact, of merch and items from your favorite bands. That's it. Go check out rockabilia.com. This is episode 114 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Colin Frangicetto from Circus Survive. My first memory of wanting to be a musician is uh, Van Halen's jump being on the TV and these dudes just jumping off of stuff and like playing guitars and looking insane and and my parents just being like, wow, check this out. And like we were like watching it together and I just remember being like all wide-eyed and being like, yeah, that looks like fun. Um, uh, Yeah, so that's the first thing I remember. But as far as like really getting into like underground music and stuff like that i think just growing up in the suburbs of philly there were um you know as i started getting into music and realizing that most of the people i would get into would be playing in the city and uh when i was 14 i made some really good friends who also had parents that trusted them maybe a little too much as well to let you go into the city yeah so my parents and their parents were just like yeah go ahead so we would just take the train um we wound up like it started as a weekend thing going down the trocadero and seeing shows and it just turned into like a five days a week you know like like essentially everything every bit of money I made like I started working when I was 14 as well so really yeah I was working at a mall doing uh, surveys um, so every little bit of money I made I spent going to shows or buying CDs um, or tapes or whatever and that was that was it like 
I think by the time I was 16, I had gone to like a couple hundred shows at wow. that point. You know what I mean? So, and all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I was going to see, like, when I was 14, I saw Jeff Buckley open for Juliana Hatfield. You know what I mean? What? Like, I saw. At 14? Yeah. I saw I saw the Mighty Mighty Boston's play, like, the Trocadero two, two nights in a row back to back every year. You know what I mean? And then they would bring, like, Lifetime and H2O. Yeah. And that's, so that's how I fell into all that. Um, and I think. The precursor to all that was probably, ironically, Pearl Jam, because I got into Pearl Jam very young, like in sixth grade, before 10 even came out, because a friend of mine, his older sister, who I had a crush on, was obsessed with going to see rock bands in small clubs, and she was obsessed with Pearl Jam, and she had all these bootleg tapes of them. It was before they had broke. And was just and so I would sneak off into her room and hang out with her and just be like, so "What are you doing?" <laughs> and she'd be like, "You, you want to hear something?" And she'd play me these live recordings of Pearl Jam, and I thought it was so cool. Um, so by the time I was like, you know, thirteen, seventh grade, and ten came out, I was already ahead of the game and was like all about it. And when they were doing a tour, they took over radio stations in different towns, and they did that in Philly. And lo and behold, one of the first tracks Vetter played was uh, Waiting Room by Fugazi. And that, like... What? So that threw me into the, the Discord, you know, wor- Eddie Vedder wormhole. Eddie playing Waiting Room. Yeah. That was, like, one of no the biggest shit. thing ever. He was just like, yeah, this is one of my favorite bands. And, like, he played Waiting Room uh, while, while they were guest DJing uh, in some radio station. And... Uh, it like completely was like I was like oh my god I just started taking notes you know like it, like Dead Boys like everything they played like I was like I have to go get all this stuff <laughs> and then I would you know anything I couldn't find at uh, the wall or whatever you know I would I would just have this list that I carried around in a little like notebook and I, every record store I'd go to I'd try to find it, and it was, wow so that was like so I was doing Minor Threat covers at 15, you know, at little YMCA's for people who did not know who Minor Threat was. So <laughs> hardcore I mean? connected. Yeah, totally. 100%. Why? Um, I think because I was a weirdo and I didn't have that, like, you know, I, it's not that I didn't have friends. I just never felt like I fit in and hardcore and punk just spoke to me immediately. It was pissed off and weird and uh, I don't know, just gave me something to hold on to and drums was first for you right um or guitar kind of kind of kind of both at the same time i was playing drums in the school band um but just like snare drum like marching band um and at the same time my dad gave me his old fender strat and was just like yeah mess around with it if you want um and like i didn't want to take lessons i took one lesson and it was so lame and i was like i hate this and so I just started like making up my own chords, which were terrible. They just sounded so bad. My dad would just be like, "You know, those aren't real chords." And I'd be like, "You don't need real chords, Dad." <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just constantly messing around with both. I think, and then by the time I mean, what really opened the door for me was getting like a little four track, and then I could just try both. I would start trying to make both parts, and I would try to do bass lines by like changing the way the guitar sounds. I didn't have a bass at the time. Soon enough, my brother got a bass, so then I started borrowing his bass, and I could put together full sounding ideas on a four track, and that really changed the game for me. Like I felt like I could write a whole song and be like just show people my ideas you know what i mean and uh, you were writing your own stuff you weren't doing covers no i i mean 
I was my first couple bands. We all played covers here and there, but it was always just like a vehicle to to like you know keep people from walking out when you're playing your crappy originals. Exactly. You know that was basically what that was about. So, so then from. Was that through high school, playing in bands, through figuring school, stuff out? Through all the way to high school. Um, and then high school, I met the guys in the Stay Forward. And, um, you know, talk, again... Talk about that band. I think yeah. there's certain people that remember it and certain people don't. I think it's worth yeah. giving a little well, synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like, I was in 11th grade, I think. And I met Mike Golan and Mike Shaw and they were just two guys that i that were giving me weird looks across the the gym yeah we were in gym class together and they did just look it seemed like they kind of hated me uh because we were like the only kids that were wearing like hardcore shirts and and like hoodies and stuff and for whatever reason um we weren't friends yet so we like kind of like were like who's this dude you know like we were we all kind of like snickered at each other or looked at each other and then one day um i think I think it was like, I think it was like a chokehold shirt that eventually was like, oh, okay, that would like, get me. like, like nobody knows chokehold. Like you know, cho- like we have to be friends. What the hell, you know? Um, and at that point, all three of us were already like, you know, just completely obsessed with like the very catalog and ordering everything from there. And um, you know, immediately, I think the first record we all connected on the most was um, Petitioning the Empty Sky by Converge was like, you know, um, and that's pre-VR, you know, so like we had the the crappy version of that and we were just obsessed with that and so that was like, let's start a band like this and so This Day Forward was just like a hardcore band of a bunch of like weird high school kids trying to sound like Converge and uh, Cole S basically. (laughs) Um, But eventually I think, you know, like we we played local shows we got signed by a local label the eulogy lo- right um no that was later that we was got later. signed we got signed by break even records which break was like even records it was like just the tiniest little thing this guy at drexel university who would like press 500 to a thousand cds for bands and be like you know it's the label whatever so he did that for us he pressed a thousand cds and i remember it took us about a year but we sold all thousand of them and he was just like, well, you know, let's sign, let's sign you guys for another album or whatever. And, and, uh, right at that time we started getting emails from eulogy. And, um, I think it was because we had somehow swindled our way onto a, um, a side stage on Hellfest and they had seen us or something. Um, so yeah, we decided to sign to eulogy, which is a, a label out of Florida they had just put out the first newfound glory record um so they had a bunch of money they were kind of just throwing at bands and on earth had just put out a, their first record and so yeah we they gave us a little budget we went into our friend vince ratty's studio in uh levittown pennsylvania for like i think three days we recorded the whole album <laughs> eons yeah it was crazy dude um for like i think like i don't know probably like fifteen hundred dollars was our budget or something and uh and then that record, Transient Transient Effects of Light on Water, um, the first to stay forward, like, real release, wound up selling, like, 
I don't know. It was something insane compared to what we were used to. You know, it took us a year to sell a thousand CDs. So then that album wound up selling like 15,000 copies or something. Wow. And for us, like that meant we were platinum. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Um, so yeah, from that, that just started. I mean, we were still in high school. So we were like weekend warrior, warriors. You know, we would just, uh, go to school and work jobs during the week, save up money and then spend that money to drive all the way down to Florida, play a festival, come back, go back to school. And then the weekends would always just be about, Oh, we're going to go to New York this week. We're going to go to Delaware. We're going to go like the East coast is awesome like that. Yeah. Just so quick. Yeah. You can do crazy touring, um, all concentrated periods of time. So we would do that all year long. And then summer we would, every bit of money we saved up throughout the year, we took that and, um, that's actually how I met Nick Beard, the basis of Circa. It was uh, the first real tour this day forward did. The first real U.S. tour was a split tour with Taken. And Taken, um, essentially, you know, this California band, and we were this East Coast band, and the idea was to, like, we would book the East Coast, they would book the West Coast, and we would kind of just both try to find people in the Midwest to book us. And it was just a total scrape across America tour yeah. you know what I mean some shows would have like five people other shows would be 500 you never knew really what was going to happen but um, yeah that was kind of the beginning of everything and we stayed really close and then many 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 years later uh, after the Stay Forward had signed the Equal Vision put out a record there how did Dan find Dan, did Dan, Dan find you yeah it was Dan Sanchal um, he found us when we were touring Steve Ford had just kind of gotten a, um, we kind of had broken through, uh, where like bands like Thursday were taking us out and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, we were getting a lot more just like visibility and I think we were changing our sound a bit. We were at the tail end of our contract with Eulogy and, you know, we did an EP that had Rick Lee on it and, I think it was kind of obvious we were heading in this more like post hardcore um, mm-hmm. direction and we were playing some new stuff and Dan wound up being at one of the shows. I think it was in Connecticut possibly. And um, essentially what we, what we found out though was that the reason we actually got scouted and signed was that the, that summer before that we had played Hellfest again and Steve Reddy met Mike Shaw and Mike Shaw is like a monster basketball player. So at Hellfest, there was always these very game. competitive basketball games between labels and bands and whatever. And Mike was just dominating. And <laughs> Red, supposedly the quote was, Reddy goes to Dan and was just like, I don't give a fuck what that kid's band sounds like, but sign him because I need him on my basketball team next year. Really? Uh, supposedly, yes, as the legend goes. Um, hey, you know what? That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we were like, sure, that's great. You know what I mean? That, that did not affect our ego one bit. We were like, whatever reason you want, like, are you kidding? Can we meet Porcel? Yeah, like, right? You know exactly. What I mean? Like, instantly nerding yeah. out. Oh, completely. I mean, it was unbelievable, but... Um, yeah, so long story short is this day forward um puts out one record on EVR, essentially breaks up at that point because, you know, it was we had given everything we had, um, went full time. It really wasn't clicking. We thought we thought it was an exposure thing, but 
when you play in front of 2,000 people and you sell like one CD, you know, you're just like, all right, it's just not going to work. And at that point... Was the sound changing? Like the um, scene? Um, I think, you know, we lost a lot of fans because we went from being a pretty spastic, m- metallic, uh, hardcore band um, to being a more melodic post hardcore band more rock influenced band and people were just weren't that into it um you know i mean regionally we had a lot of people very into that record and now it's crazy i mean people hit us up all the time to do reunion shows and stuff but um at the time it just it just didn't gel for whatever reason and and honestly we didn't give it that much time at that point we were already at our breaking point guys had been just maxing out their credit cards just to stay on tour and um and we were you know, we had everything we thought we needed. You know, we had we had this great label, we had a great record, we were playing really well live, and we were opening for huge bands on huge tours, and just nothing was happening. So we felt like, all right, like let's just stop dragging this through the mud and like quit while we're ahead. We're all still really good friends. Yeah, like, exactly. No real bad damage has been done. We, whatever. So um, we broke up and. You know, long story short, that's how that's how all the EVR connections were made and kind of stayed in place and really helped Circa lift off like immediately. I remember being in the office and I remember Dan kind of being like, you know, he's pretty quiet yeah. and he probably hates that we're talking about him. But, <laughs> but it was like him kind of being like, I got this idea. You know, he kind of like whispers. Yeah. yeah. And he'd be like, I got this idea. I think I'm on this, this. And, and it was kind of crazy. Yeah. When he kind of said it out loud, you're like, yeah. wait, you're putting together a band? And he's like, I got this. I, I got this. Like you could see he already saw like it yeah. done and you guys were already like had the record. Like that's what his mind, you could well, see it. The thing is, is like he hit me up and he was like, he he was always like he completely was a true believer in what I was doing and was so I feel like that's what I meant like he yeah. he knew you he was like what are you up to yeah. and I was like uh well I've been recording stuff but I don't really know what it is and I would I sent him some of these like solo ideas I had which were kind of like weird skeletons of early circa instrumentals and he's like oh this is cool and he's like well whatever you are going to do let me know you know I'm gonna you know i'm interested in it and i want to i you know i got your back or whatever and i was like okay cool it's like i really don't know if i'm interested in pursuing music in that same way anymore i was kind of just like a little like disillusioned and then um once anthony kind of came back to pa and we had this periodic moment of reconnection and we started like um let's fuck around and like write a couple things and we wrote just two song ideas and it was just me and him we didn't have a band yet and i was playing everything yeah. you know drawing on that four track uh experience See what happens yeah when you- i literally was doing it on that four track that i started on as a little kid which is great um but you know we did these super crude demos just anthony and i and then i was well, we were sitting there and once anthony basically made it clear that he wanted to quit seosin and wanted to do pursue this I was like, okay. Um, and we're sitting there, and he's like, do you like know any like labels or anything? And I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, EBR like, would totally do anything, probably. Like, I mean, Dan's great. He's like, what the fuck are we waiting for? Like, let's hit them up. I'm like, okay. So I was like, I emailed him. I'm like, hey, Dan, like, uh, working on something. <laughs> um, this is my buddy Anthony. And he's like, wait a second. He's like, is that the kid from Seosin? And I was like, yeah. He's like, like my best friend for like so long. And he's like, okay wait what <laughs> and then i sent him the, those two demos and he like he was just like 
Uh, yeah. Um, we're, I think we're interested, you know? And it's just like, by the way, that's a really good impersonation. I love, dude. I love it. He's like the best dude ever. Um, I miss him a lot. I told you I met him, right? No. He was an intern at Eric Records. Oh, God. And called my college radio station. Oh, because was, was I doing, was a metal director. So he was doing promotion. He was doing promo. Yeah. We ended up realizing that we liked emo. Wow. He sent me a mixtape of all these like obscure emo bands. And then he would basically be like, hey, where's Morbid Angel this week? And I was like, I don't know, number two. All right. Anyway, back to talking about <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And we would just talk about records. Dude, I met so many people that way. I did Because I did that for Roadrunner. I did radio promotion for Roadrunner for a whole year uh, under Amy Chiaretto. And uh, so, yeah. You meet I, so many people across the country. Game. Yeah. And most of the people just want to talk about what they like. Yeah. They don't want to talk about, okay, let's get, all right, I'm going to add it. It's fine. Can whatever. we talk about rad shit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that was kind of the, the, you know, knowing that he was super into that stuff. And yeah. when you're hearing that from him, it's like, oh, that yeah. was a big deal. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but so that was probably when he got up from his desk and said, I think I'm I got sure. something cool. Yeah, because he was just like, <laughs> well, how are you? I mean, are you going to get band members? And I was like, I mean, I think so. I mean, we're, that's the plan. I'm like, I think what we want to do. And he was just like, all right, well, like, let me know what you what your plan is. And so basically I was like, well, we need we need money for a van. We need money for equipment. And we're we I think we have some people, but we're gonna need to run a house for three months and just write and then uh we would need a place to go record directly after that and then hopefully by then we'll have a booking agent and we're gonna go on tour right <laughs> after that because we don't have a place to live after that. And he was just like, Okay, all right, I think I can make that work. <laughs> so then him and Steve came down to Philly and we went and uh went to Govinda's and straight up did a handshake deal like really did, yeah we didn't even get the lawyers involved or because we went through a brutal lawyer process with this day forward it took months upon months upon months and we were just like all right let's just cut the bullshit this is what we need we need this much for a down payment on a van we need this much for equipment we need this much for rent for three months and that's all we need and that's all like, we want cool let's do it and they were like yeah okay let's let's do this and um that's rad yeah it was great and um and steve just kept saying like i really think you should get a lawyer i just am telling you i i mean i know it's a pain but i don't want you to come back at me in five months from now and say that i bamboozled you over some vegan cheesesteaks <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> whatever and i was just like we're not gonna we don't want to get them involved. It's just going to slow it up. So all we did, we wound up just doing an amendment to this day forward deal. And oh, we took, wow. the, we took over the last two records on the this day forward deal. And it was our, all the legal work was already done. All they did was make the amendments of what we wanted to add into it. Um, so there was really nothing wow. for us to argue about. And it was very simple. Um, and it was a way for us to not have to sit and wait for lawyers to do this sh- shit over yeah. you know a span of a year or whatever it would take um and yeah they signed the band without a band name and without a full band even in place um so they really believed in it and then everything worked out um he was like i think we should send these demos to brian mcturnan and uh sent them to brian mcturnan and mcturnan was like send me more i love this you know and then immediately it was like all right you have your first date in the studio at this point and it was it was legitimately the day after our lease ended in our three months wow. like we moved out of our of our little house that we had for three months and drove straight down to baltimore and 
um, started recording with him. Well, I guess it was College Park or something like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, it was, like, insane. And that was Inuit, or was that Juturna? Well, Inuit was Juturna. So Inuit, oh, Inuit all we did was we just took um, we took two of the tracks. We took three of the tracks from the record and then one demo track and then put that out as like a buzz kind yeah. of whatever. Um, but essentially, yeah, that was all one session. Just like went down there. We lived we lived in Salad Days for, I guess, like about a month and a half. And um broke for the holidays and then immediate at that point we had already started working with galley and galley had us booked on the road for like four months solid and so, so awesome. got out of you know we had christmas and new year's and then we got back together and went hit the road immediately in our brand new van that you know evr had like got, gave us a deposit for and um that became our home for the next two years like we just straight up did not stop it was just it started with a little tiny support tour where we were first of three getting paid a hundred bucks. And then I think by the end of that four months, we were already making like a thousand bucks a show, you know, cause we were on, we were on these bills where essentially shit would get crazy and we had a lot of hype and buzz. So people were coming and then leaving after us and eventually tours were just like putting us higher and higher. So people would stay. And then eventually we would even do like, you know, we, we did a tour with Say Anything in, in Emmanuel, um, and and then you know, Max had to leave the tour right after the first night. So then it was just us and Emmanuel, and we're like, wow. "Are we gonna? What are we gonna do?" And um, that was us essentially opening that tour, right? And that next, <laughs> right after that, uh, Emmanuel and our agent basically were like, "All right, well, let's just flip flop." And then we did that for like a week until they were just like forget it you guys just close and you guys can get the closing money or whatever like we don't want to close after you and it was like really intense and all like honestly within a month or two of the album even being out we headlined the tla in philadelphia sold out like it was like insane the craziest fastest um you know growth that i've ever experienced as a band that was Um, i mean being at the office and working right next to all those guys, I mean, I was, the, people probably don't, maybe don't know where I've mentioned, but I was sitting with all these guys working that. I remember just being like, wait, we got to ship more? Okay, <laughs> okay, wait, what happened? We need to do this again? Or like people, wait, they love the video. We got to do this other, like the, they, we yeah. were getting calls versus us begging. Yeah. Which again, opened up the doors, I think for bands after it. Yeah. Because of that. I feel like those moments at a small label sure like carry it for like oh of course years. i mean we were piggybacking off of coheed at the same time yeah. you know and armor and like other bands oh, yeah, the armor thing was like two years of like yeah. working that what to do in your dead record exactly so it was like you know there had been all these doors kind of kicked in with those bands and then i think it gave us some visibility as soon as as soon as they had our thing going as soon as you guys had us like kind of up and running and and the promos were getting sent out it just kind of you know exploded for us and you know going to south by southwest that year was oh, that, huge the, the showcase was nuts yeah like so it was just like a really exciting time and we just got really lucky and we got you know i, I mean the song act appalled helped yeah it that, definitely did it can't i mean that that's it definitely What's did. the kids say? It's a banger. It's woke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, jokingly aside, like that was a you had a single. 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ironically, that was the song that got assigned to Atlantic, too. I mean, um, in a lot of ways, because that was the song that, um, you know, a lot of the guys and gals that were pulling strings to try to sign us there basically said that that was the song that made them think we had the potential to be like a fucking massive band and we were just like well that's cool I mean, we're probably never going to write that song again but um, you know whatever uh, it's cool that you saw our potential or whatever uh, yeah so that song was just one of those special songs that happened in the studio and it was it was right after mcturnan basically made us all cry and told us that we couldn't write a chorus to save our lives and uh he was right so then we tried so to like, prove, right, we asshole. tried to prove him we tried to prove him wrong we were like yeah we can that, i didn't know that that's yeah. great oh yeah mct is great but he definitely you know he was very very hard on us at first because i think as rightfully so i mean we were maybe getting a little more hype than we deserved at that time and he wanted us to live up to it so you know so after that first record obviously you're headlining like that's i mean that's that's a lot happening yeah it was nuts i mean but we were also getting great main support slots too and so we were essentially like headline these these rooms we knew we could sell out and do well in them but then the second a bigger band would be like hey come support us we'd go do that too so we were essentially touring i mean 10 months out of the year some of these some of these cycles you know um i would say the the time span of from being in the studio recording juturna and then the end of the on letting go cycle you know it was just this four years of just uh, it just was nonstop. it blew by and out of nowhere we were a band that was together for almost five years already and it was just like we hadn't even stopped and it was right mid on letting go cycle that um you know i think as that was going on we knew we were out of our our contract with the avr and um that was when a lot of the really weird shit started happening with all the majors coming out to scout us and you know uh just lots of managers sniffing around i mean we didn't even really have a real manager at that point it was like just you guys calling up yeah we (laughs) self-managed that whole time and just worked with our booking agent and our lawyer essentially that's it those guys yeah yeah but i mean i remember the like like fuse in those places being like i know they were on a month ago can they come back yeah like yeah you don't get that Yeah, That's, was that cool. was a fun I mean also that time where you had TV yeah Stevens and Total Rock Show did a lot for us back then um, and that, it, kids watch that yeah we could do an ad on that show for your a tour of yours and, and we could and it was see valuable. the yeah, difference exactly I know it's it's wild to think about how different things are now just the, the way things penetrate the market is so different and so it's so much harder to get anyone's attention and keep anyone's attention and we're just one of those lucky bands that has just kind of stayed, had our head down and just worked hard, like consistently and not stopped. And, and, it, and we kind of just exist kind of outside of that bubble, you know? Um, I mean, but, you built yeah. it where it's like, I talked to some bands and it's like, you, we talked about it before. It's like, you have a career. Yeah. Oddly enough, it's turned out very strangely that the I have a have more stable, I have a more stable career than most of my friends who went and, got master's degrees you know it's very strange but i also think the a lot of the bands during the boom yeah where 
and I just talked about this earlier with somebody. The and if you disagree or agree, but that the bands that blew up and got huge and were on these big tours and top sure. forty radio and all that stuff, when they had that next record, uh, it dropped off. Sure. And when you see the show and they're playing the new record, everyone's kind of flipping on their phones, hanging right. out. Oh, they're playing the hit. Cool. Yeah. That didn't happen. No. It, they, everyone went with you, and I feel like sometimes those bands didn't realize that. Wow, look at all these people here. Yeah. But it wasn't this... Like, Coheed was kind of like that. Like, yeah. you know every single note that oh. they're doing, every story, every... They're a huge inspiration for us. I mean, and they remain that, and they were, um, I think, kind of a guiding light for us even throughout um, the major label era of Because they life. did it right before. Yeah, they had done it already, and we watched them still stay as progressive and wild and 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 uh experimental and, and and like fun you know like everything about what they were doing to me none of it screamed like trying to be like you know a radio rock band you know what i mean like they just stayed who they were and kept doing it and just kept getting bigger and bigger and taking what they were doing and making it better and uh you know just more entertaining every time i saw them every time i i see coheed i'm just like god they're even better than the the last time i saw them and like i keep saying like oh this must be it this must be the pinnacle like they're you know i remember being in like the philippines with them and watching them play to like eighty thousand people like you know and just watching claudio like running down the catwalk you know what i mean like running there's your van halen moment it was just like i swear to god i was looking and i was like dude it like reminds me of kirk hammett like back in like the glory days of metallica like what i'm watching and then like just watching them just completely destroy this festival like it was unreal i still have like really crappy flip phone footage of it because i remember um you know it was before i had an iphone and stuff and i was just I had to take some footage yeah. of it because it was insane and it was the first time they ever had pyro so they had all this crazy pyro go off at the like the climax yeah. of this part I was like this is the band that opened for this day forward I have that flyer like, at like, my office like this band <laughs> one of their first shows was opening for this day forward and they didn't even understand that they had to drive themselves after the show because they all got hammered and were like oh fuck we're supposed to drive somewhere now <laughs> And like and like they all had nine volt batteries still in their like distortion pedals, you know what I mean? So to see that journey, I mean, fuck, I love those guys. They're so great. And and they were such like, you know They they were different. When Dan played me that, he goes, Let yeah. me, I wanna play you this. Yeah. It didn't sound like anything yeah, that n- scene had heard. Yeah, nobody knew what to make of it. And it the same thing happened when I started playing circuit for people. Yeah. And I think that's that part that a band wants to sound like something. No, do your own thing. Yeah. And no. look like that's when you 100%. That's when And kids they gave us that out. confidence, I think. Honestly, they were really? a, they were a band that gave us that them uh Code 7 and a few others gave us this feeling what of What up to Big Dave? Uh yeah. Like like they gave us <laughs> these these uh inspirations of you know, in the time when we were writing Juturna, we were getting these like kind of like um, paranoid thoughts of like everyone's gonna hate this um, because it doesn't fit anywhere and it's not it's not emo enough it's not heavy enough it's just not like not no gazy like enough. yeah nobody uh, nobody that likes 
EVR is like stuff is gonna like this and like like no one else that's out like how are we gonna possibly like reach the same people that like listen to Rush like who the hell is gonna like this you know um, and then all of a sudden you know you would hear a, a Coheed song and realize like well what what the fuck like the, like no one Kids no one sounded like that seven minutes yeah nobody yeah exactly nobody knew <laughs> anything that sounded like this before that and everybody embraced it so we felt like yeah well, let's just do our thing and you know either people are gonna like it or they're not um but yeah that was definitely but what a that, fun time yeah oh yeah it was nuts like to have the tv happening you know there was a show that was an outlet for it the touring like it seemed like everything kind of came together to build that base yeah and it's funny because for a long time we second guessed it you know i think a lot of times we would question our decision making because we always aspired to be more than like a scene band you know quote unquote um can i tell you something embarrassing sure the marketing sticker i remember getting yelled at Ah, do you remember this story i don't know i I remember being mad about it (laughs) so it's my fault i remember being like all right we got to think of some marketing stuff for this x band members that's what you do and i put taken yeah and i remember either nick or you or someone was like why the fuck is that on there we don't sound like that we don't and i was like I know, but no, like we were Equal Vision Records. They were expecting hardcore. Like we had to get in the door. Yeah, it's a, it was before anyone well, had heard it, was, it. Well, no, it was like I feel like it was ex-members of all of our old bands. Yes, and I think it didn't make any. We sense. were vi- well, it does from a marketing perspective, but I think we were so anti that we were like no. <laughs> And like honestly, every time we saw a flyer that had ex-band names on it too, we would f- throw a fit. Yeah, because <laughs> we're like don't sell us as something more than what we are um which we, we had learned from because as soon as people heard it yeah they all told us it doesn't sound like any of that yeah and then i think the second run we took well it i off. think there was also a sensitive thing because of like anthony leaving seosin and then You're right and then people using that that name a lot like as we were starting to come up as a band like we had to be straight up dicks about it we had to just you know uh, we had to just say do not put our old band names on anything please because we don't want to we don't want to exploit that and we also don't want to come off as saying that those bands are dead necessarily because Seosin in particular was trying to move on and we like didn't want to stoke that fire anymore because yeah. we felt like you know especially you know I felt especially guilty about that whole thing because you know they were like poised for greatness really in my opinion and obviously things have turned out great they're you know they still get to make music together now and it's awesome but during that whole time it you know it made me feel kind of weird because i never asked anthony to leave uh you know he he wanted to leave because he was uncomfortable there but i felt like that's shitty they're trying to like get their shit together and move forward and here we are excess exactly. you know what i mean exactly like, it's almost like, like it was premature yeah we're all, we're already putting a fork in them and they're already they're in the middle of trying to sign the capital so it's my fault uh no it's, it's all it's all of us but um, no, it's yeah. funny, i remember that day vividly there's very few days you remember from work that was definitely one of them oh boy it was funny i remember that uh i mean from the moving from evr yeah to atlantic yeah yeah that's great uh that's another wild time i mean we just were like taking dinners left and right and like people giving us comp concert tickets to anything we wanted and 
Uh, I think at a certain point we got a little maybe in over our heads uh, as far as just taking things from people who were giving, throwing them at us because they wanted to sign us. And we really had no interest in a lot of it. But some of the, you know, eventually we had to have that talk. Uh, guys, if you know that we have no interest in working with these people, please don't take anything from yeah. them. Um, but, you know, this is the shit you dream about as a kid. You know, like people driving you around in limos and taking you to go see you know big rock stars and having these fancy dinners with like the heads of record labels and whatever so we kind of ate it up um literally yeah and uh it was a really fun time um until we were going through a lot of problems with our manager at the time and um it just was like it turned very stressful very quick um but essentially you know we, we signed to Atlantic because they they were the one label that truly um, made us feel that they did not want to change us and they wanted to sign us based on um, stuff we had already done based on the fact that they, they felt like, you know, they just want to take what we do and amplify it to the masses and to their credit, that's really what they tried to do. Um, and a lot of it actually was great. I mean, just like any other record we put out, I mean, you, I guess a lot of people put expectations on a major label, like, Oh, they're going to blow you up to like a hundred times what you already are. But for us, that's just never the case with any label, whether we put it out ourselves, whether we, it's on EVR, whether it's on hopeless, whether it's on Atlantic, we grow a small amount, every single record, um, inch by inch. You know what I mean? It's never been anything the boom happened when we first became a band ever since then you know that was the big bang (laughs) ever since then we've just been slowly expanding and um you know i think the industry was changing at a breakneck pace at that point um pirating was becoming a way bigger issue uh record sales were kind of like do they matter don't they matter of course they matter to a major label but they also don't like it was very strange time um, but we had a really great experience there. I mean, I think we got very lucky with a fantastic lawyer who wrote a great contract. <laughs> and essentially, we got to leave there in a very non-bloody fashion. That's and, awesome. um, you know, essentially, the label paid us to leave. <laughs> and that was great. Um, and we essentially took that money and funded our next record and just kept going. So and- what was that like from doing it you know with all those people and hundreds of people helping you and to now you're on your own doing it yourself yeah kind of back to your four track well it was very it was very <laughs> um liberating you know it was kind of like and and i think there's no way to do it without going through that because you go through that you see where all the fat can be cut you see what's unnecessary you see what's overthinking you see but then you see what good stuff comes out of that too you know what i mean like we got the safe camp symbol out of that period of time and um we you know we came up with it but they pushed us to to like you know you guys should have a symbol of sorts that is associated with the band and they were right and like i I think it you know oh my god i would i would be i don't know i would never take that back i think safe camp symbol is so crucial to circa and um they really pushed that like uh heavy reflection um deeper meanings like what 
what does your what's your band's mission statement like what are you guys trying to achieve what do you stand for i think when somebody pushes you to define that it forces you to grow you know what i mean in a really good way and i think really like we got put through the gamut of everything a band could go through during that period of time and we came out just like way stronger you know what i mean like all the pressure that people kind of associate with trying to succeed as a musician you know it all happened there um live on air performances with radio stations you know big um you know big festival performances big like kind of like uh you know who every everything was always some type of like something might come out of this you know kind of feeling and now we exist in the complete opposite of that space where that's the, that's the running joke every time we're in a big city. Oh, I hear there's going to be talent scouts out there tonight. You know what I mean? And it's just like such a joke to us now. Cause it's just like, Oh my God. you remember when that actually used to be a thing? Like there used to be a thing like where you thought someone was, some there. person could be there that would change everything. And, um, it must it's, have felt pretty your head must have been clear yeah. we're doing this our way we've got these ideas you're right cutting out the fat yeah yeah it was um it was super it, it was a really uh liberating time coming off atlantic because i felt like we kind of had the leash on for a long time there um not because they were controlling us, but because we we a lot of shit to do. we volunteered. We we wanted to be participants in this uh, team experiment of okay, like we're all we're gonna make this bunch of songs and we're gonna sit here and hash this out with our A and R guy and talk about what why we think these are the best songs and blah blah blah. And we're gonna give him a, an actual opinion and give him an actual say. Like what like a vote? You know what I mean? Um, because we decided to work with this label <coughs> we didn't want to just fight them the whole time we, we had the same goals you know what i mean so it was cool uh but then when we got out of there it was like ah, oh, it's like you could just completely breathe again you know it was like the difference of like running with a weighted vest on or not all of a sudden we could just make decisions fast and based on what we wanted to do and that only and if we wanted to start our record with a seven minute song we could <laughs> And that was kind of uh, the great, the great thing that came out of that, knowing yeah. that. Um, and know. that was violent waves. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that was a, that was a really dark time for the band, but also a very, um, like I said, liberating. I mean, it was dark because we went through all kinds of hell uh, personally throughout, you know, addiction, divorce, all kinds of uh, really brutal stuff, but. Um, you know that was more towards the tail end of that and then we went through more management changes and then eventually booking changes and all of that stuff very necessary for growth but very painful yeah because at that point you're you're really attached to everybody that you work with even the people that you knew you had to cut ties with um just because you needed a fresh start uh there was a lot of hurt at that at that point and yeah that's when you realize they're like not in kansas anymore you're like you know you're in the middle of adulthood (laughs) people are like you know in the middle of raising kids other people are like you know starting over you know after divorce and um so there was a lot of real life shit got real you know what i mean Uh, to say the least and yeah 
that was a very like maybe we'll be abandoned a year maybe we won't kind really? of really was kind that of touch oh, and go oh definitely i mean at the end of violent ways for sure we were at this place where um everyone was in their own bubble of kind of despair dealing with their own shit and we weren't really communicating and um and greg bless his heart was managing us at the time doing his best but we were a total mess and impossible to really wrangle in to do anything not even to i mean just to get on a conference call was like a fucking ordeal you know what i mean and to get us to really make plans to get people to calm down about financial concerns to get anyone to like just make rational decisions was very difficult at that time and um it was clear that it was way too much for for greg to handle and uh we as a band and i think at that moment just made the decision to completely start over with everyone we worked with and just started from scratch and um you know it was really hard but i think it wound up being for the best and the people the team we have now is the team we put in place then and that was for this that was for the sumerian record yeah Descensus. Descensus, um, yeah which we actually started we were recording it um we didn't sign to sumerian until after it was already done um we made the record on our own we funded it on our own and then afterwards um you know when we had our new management in place and everything they were like oh like let's just see if we can get someone else to put this out and we're like all right we're open to it you know and uh sumerian threw down hard for it they really wanted it and they hadn't even heard it yet so it was like okay it was definitely like offer you can't refuse and also very enticing because it was so outside of the box of what we would normally would do so that started our our now trend of doing one record deals. Yeah. yeah. What, what I think was interesting when you did have that sort of lull where things were going on, personal things, I think other interests happened. Oh, for sure. And I wanted to touch on the painting and yeah. the drawing stuff. When did you start? Was that like an early life thing? When um, did you really dive into it? Cause I, if people don't know, like you've got amazing art, beautiful stuff that you've done oh, personally thanks. for a really long time. And I think, that's a fun thing to have when it's non circa yeah and Uh, people should remember that when they're like (laughs) have something else (laughs) um yeah you know i think that was you know i'm i'm one of those guys that i've been preparing for the end of circa since like the first record (laughs) i've basically been like what's my escape plan like what do i do like because i just keep you know i mean i was already i think i was like a I don't know, like 24 or something like that, like 23 when uh, Circus started. And, you know, I just was getting this creeping feeling that, like, if this kept going on, I felt what it was like to have, like, all of a sudden, like, wake up in the middle of being an adult from, like, this day forward breaking up and just be like, I don't know what to do, you know? So I think from even just the start, I started, like, all right being in a band gives you a lot of hurry up and wait time i just wanted to do the most with that time so that's when i started just like you know tinkering with design and drawing and stuff like that probably around the second record or so at the same time i was doing a lot of like solo stuff and like remix work and um that stuff that was just outside of the realm of just a rock music you know doing a lot of like electronic feeling stuff um so I started just building up experience doing, you know, uh, 
music that I could make on my own and then also artwork that I could make by myself and not depend on anybody. That was kind of the the thing. What can I do that I don't have to depend on anyone else for? Because, you know, being in a band, that's all you do is depend on other people. Um, so uh, the first real time I started making paintings in an effort to show them and sell them was around... It was around the on letting go time and essentially the reason that I did it was because our favorite record store was going out of business and they were being forced out of their location and they had a twelve thousand uh, dollars debt they had to pay just to get back in to get their stuff out and oh, wow. they had to lean on them and all this stuff. Basically their landlord just uh, completely screwed them over and um, you know broke a promise and screwed them over and so we were like desperate to not see that happen so uh myself and brendan and, and um well i guess the whole band eventually but i, I at first i was just like i we got to do something so we we just launched like 15 fundraisers you know what i mean we put out multiple circus shirts i got like john gorley from portugal the man to design one i got nice. i got drew from dredge to design one i designed one we had all these like just charity shirts and then we did a charity art show, me, Anthony, my girlfriend at the time, uh, Meredith, and uh, we just filled this like little hall with art and every everything that was sold like went to help Siren. And, wow. Um, you know, it was cool. We had we had a we had a benefit show as well, like just like local bands that we put on. Um, just a bunch of people kind of pulled together and then I think eventually it took a couple of weeks, but they wound up getting to get in, get their stuff, got a new location, and then they're still there today. And we play there, you know, almost every time we That's put like on a record. That's like an '80s movie. Like yeah, you like up. saved the, you know, we the old folks. We home. It was like the whole community pulled together. But I, I definitely was like, <laughs> I love that. Uh, and and in the middle of that, it helped me launch my art career because it was really like what gave me the confidence of like, you know, the first step in learning how to sell your own art is like learning how to not freak out about how much it should be worth and uh you know i think when you're doing it for someone else it allows you to take that that whole uh mindset out of it and you can just be like i just did silent auctions like what do you what is it worth to you what can you pay what can mm-hmm. you afford some people paid ten dollars for a painting other people paid a thousand you know what i mean um that was kind of interesting i thought i thought that was uh wow okay so art is just as valuable as people want to say it is but after that i just started like gradually like okay this is what i think it's worth i don't this mm-hmm. is what my time's worth essentially um and i just kept making work at that point um and now i would say it's probably you know just as much of a career for me as music is that's I've, amazing yeah I've, i do multiple shows a year i'm constantly kind of grinding on the side trying to submit to galleries and do all that stuff but yeah it must be fun it is it is again fun. it's that other half like yeah it can't just be all i wish i would have picked something that was a little easier i i feel like i picked a, another your medium, thing your other medium well no i just picked another thing that's like nobody fucking nobody can make it as an artist you know what I mean? these are all the things that people tell you like don't try to be a musician. Don't try to be an don't artist. Don't major in art history. I was like, let me do both. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's worked out great. And and you did some film scoring. A little bit. Which I thought um, is worth mentioning. Yeah. Because no, that's a different 
way of looking at a well that's another scene and i just wanted to get into i haven't done anything high profile at all but i've done um some small indie like shorts a few things here and there just for experience and i'm kind of waiting for that one thing that just feels great and right to do to i I would love to do a full length i would i mean i feel like i'm finally ready to do that so also too i think the for you guys i mean that's been 15 right years getting getting there close i think we're like at 14 14 we'll yeah be, we'll same be members yeah same members which is yeah. insanely rare yeah um <laughs> still together still making i think that's a testament and i think have you guys thought about looking back i know you've done some anniversary things yeah but is there are you constantly thinking about that or is it what's next um a little bit of both i mean i think the anniversary tour has definitely made us they forced us to look back and what did that feel like great um it was really nice to actually because we were doing all these vip um these vip experiences where people come in early and we play three like more stripped down songs and then we did like a q a for those tours and people just asked questions about those records and those times and it was pretty cool to hear um you know the other guys perspectives on things and i think we all kind of learned from each other like hearing like oh shit that's what was going on in your mind at that time um you know because we never really sat there and dissected it out loud yeah. like that so that was cool um but i think it gave us a lot of perspective of what a special thing we have a it's rare yeah Colin. it is rare and it's even more so than that it's just kind of magical to think about you know, this is all because we just created some shit out of thin air. You know what I mean? Like we just created some music and somehow it, um, we just built on top of that and just kept building on top of that. And now it has its own life. You know, the circuit fans are their own thing. Have you seen them grow up? Oh yeah. Dads and kids like that kind of stuff. Yeah. People that have been coming in high school now come and they're bringing their newborns and shit. And it's like, you know you can't help but just be like this is wild you know i think yesterday i've never had a a vip where more people said i started listening to you when i was in seventh grade i'm here now and they're like this adult you know and you're just like or like something of that nature like this is we've had multiple people say this is my 25th show this is my 30th show this is whatever and you're just like holy shit that's got to give you some like like not rise or ego but more of like we still gotta we gotta you know change up that set or do that other new thing like because you know that there's people out there that have seen like it almost pushes you to know that absolutely i mean just the other day in florida we had a group of like five people that they paid extra to come to every VIP for three Florida shows in a row. And normally nobody, there's no repeats in VIPs, so we just played the same songs. But that that situation, we were like, all right, let's change it up. Like, So we added uh, an extra song and just were like, hey, we like really appreciate that you're here. Normally we play the same stuff every day because it's, uh, it's, it's always different. Flipped. Oh, they loved it. They were all about it. They are like, we were fine just hearing the same ones again. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's just so many people that will just straight up follow us around uh when we come within a few states and they'll just go from show to show and then when we played red rocks like those photos like in video that i saw were so beautiful that was insane but like i can't even tell you 
like the VIP that day, somebody was like, I just want to point this out. They were like, how many people traveled more than four hours to be here? And it was almost every single person. Wow. Like every single person at the VIP had flown out or driven like on a road trip to be there for that. Um, and that just meant so much. And there was like probably like about 200 people there at that VIP. Um, and then that night, you know, it was just like one of the biggest shows we've ever played in that way. And, uh, yeah, very special to, to know we have those kind of fans that are like, Oh, this is a big one for Circa. Like we we're going to, go. we're going we're gonna to book our plane tickets. Yeah. Like, holy shit. You know, that, that means the world to us. So I think too, the, just from me seeing you guys for years and years and years, when I saw the rough trade performance yeah. you guys did and it was stripped down, yeah. I, you know, the, I'm super jaded, you know, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. tough to get me. I was fucking blown away. Nice, and I'm not just dude. saying that you're sitting here. Thank like you. I, it, I think that that level, you couldn't have done that if you hadn't gone through and yes, you've been around for that amount of years, but like to put those songs in that way, I'd heard the record. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was like already knew, but like yeah. to hear it that way, I think was pretty, pretty rad. And I, I think it's almost like you guys are almost pushing yourselves to yeah. do those things. Well, absolutely. And we realize now that the thing that keeps people interested in the band is us keeping ourselves interested in the band. You know what I mean? Like the more, the more we make it fun for ourselves, the more we make it like um, a thing that there's just a certain level that we want everything to be at. And anything below that is just like not acceptable for us and not in a way that we're ever like brutal to each other. It's just that we all work together really hard to make sure that, you know, uh, quality counts and that like, and that we're feeling really good about what we're making and what we're doing. Um, you know, for this tour, we just knew we really wanted it. We wanted to play a lot of new stuff. We also wanted it to flow really well. We wanted to be super tight for day one. And what that meant for me was like an extra 10 days. You know what I mean? Like normally I'd come out for a week, uh, before tour and we rehearse, this one was like 17 days for me. So that's 17 extra days on top of the tour that I'm away from home because I live across the country from the rest of the band, but it's worth it. You know what I mean? That first show was fucking probably one of the tightest first nights of tour we've had yet. And I was just so grateful that I did that. And the rest of the guys, we all make those kind of sacrifices together, um, in order to make the band better. Um, you know, whether it's in the recording somebody giving that extra day of time when you're already home or you know we all kind of pick up the slack for each other but overall it's just a group effort to make sure that we're we're not ever like cutting corners or just kind of phoning it in because there's no point you know when you're a band this long yeah either quit and do something else or really like give it everything because you know we've been given an opportunity that a lot of people would straight up murder people for so is there anything you haven't done that you want to do and not like dreams like those sure yeah i mean there's always dreams you know madison square garden stuff like that um i think just certain places we need to go we still have never been to japan um yeah never uh, who hasn't brought you why has no one brought well, you over there i think the opportunities were there for a while but um we couldn't go because of like duis or other so stuff. legal stuff yeah but now i think we're in the clear so i think that should be happening soon and you know just certain things just really want to you know i don't know we we, ha- we have a dream of doing a tour like 
like a stripped down like what you saw at Rough Trade, but doing that in like really small seated theaters and doing like a, like a full set of that stuff that would be really cool. We have like a laundry list of stuff like that. So you've we still got a long list. Yeah, of we stuff. won't we won't run out of stuff. As How about long personally? As, me personally, um, you know, like family. Um, I you know I. I love my partner and I couldn't be happier. I mean, the stuff I have going on at home is just like amazing. Uh, we live in Portland. Uh, hi Sarah. I love you. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, we don't have kids or anything like that, but you know, we have a lot of really great friends and a lot of people that we love have children and, Friends we, that have moved to Portland have kind of like stayed. Like I now have, I think I told you the last time we talked, there's probably like seven or eight friends from yeah. New York or LA that move up there and they don't leave. It's pretty great. Uh, I don't know if we'll stay forever. I, I don't know. For now it's nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, we bought a place there. We, we are definitely like residents. We <laughs> love it. Um, but at the same time, you never know. Like we try to, we, we both kind of try to keep that like that door open for whatever is going to happen. We're going to roll with it and kind of follow our, our intuition and whatever, you know, makes us want to, whatever's going to make us feel alive and happy is what we're going to try to run for. Um, Would you have ever thought after that phone call with Dan that terminal five, like 15 years later, (laughs) like with throw, like, no way, dude, I didn't even think we'd get to album two. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the, where we've gotten is crazy and i don't know every day i'm just like this is i can't believe this is still happening which i think is why it still feels fresh it still does that because you remind yourself that i think there was a time period for that that i think the scene where top of the world top 40 radio everything's going for him people got complacent of course sure it's you know rock and roll is powerful and that way it can completely ruin you and We've always, um, you know, going back to the beginning of, you know, Fugazi, you know, that, that being the first kind of thing that really, you know, drew me in. I think, you know, Ian and Discord, like their whole ethos has been um, something that I think I've always held pretty close to my heart in a way of like, stay humble, uh, care about the people that support you, try to make their lives easier. Um, try to make you try to make yourself accessible to, to people. Don't, don't put yourself um, behind a, a gate in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like we feel like we are the same as the people that come to see us and who support us. And I think that's what punk really is. Like to me is like when you're playing on a floor, you're saying like, I'm not above you. And while we do play on stages every night, I think like we're always still mentally playing on the floor. We're, we're still right there and, and we like to walk out and just talk to people and just be around like the people that essentially put food in our mouths like for us it's very much like we're just super grateful and thankful and the fact that people love what we do it, you know we're just completely amazed and humbled by that
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com. 